talk, we talk, we talk Superman, and we know what's happening. We talk, we talk, we talk Superman, and we cover everything. Welcome back to another exciting episode of All Star Superfan, the podcast that explores the astonishing legacy of the Man of Steel, his world, and all of the characters who exist therein. I'm Alan Burke, and I am joined by a man whose very name is rumored to send his own kind back to the fifth dimension. It's Mr. Rob O'Connor. Hey, Rob, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much, Alan. I'm surprised you didn't do a Dublin pun this week, since we have a very Dublin-centric guest on for the first time ever. Our first, our first Irish guest. I can't, I can't wait. Um, do you want to give out our socials quick, Rob, before we start? Yes, of course. Uh, we'd like to remind you that you can like us on Facebook and on Instagram at All Star Super Fan. You can follow us on Twitter at All Star Super Pod. Uh, get in touch via email, allstarsuperpod at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts and feelings and impassioned voice notes on all of the geographical topics we discuss on tonight's episode. Rob, our guest tonight is a homegrown success story from right here in Ireland. He is a former senior art director who followed his dreams to become a DC Comics exclusive artist. He is the man who brought Superman to Dublin, the artist behind Superman, son of Kal-El, Mr. Keen Tormey. Now, Keen, seeing as you're our first ever Irish guest, I wanted to give you the traditional Irish greeting. Well, lad, what's the crack? <laughs> I, I, you genuinely frightened me there. I was like, uh, I wasn't sure what I was, uh, but <laughs> I was genuinely worried I'd have to do something. That's great. Yeah. Alan and Rob, thank you very much. Lovely to be on the show. Yeah, it's it, it's great to have you on. Like I said, our first ever Irish guest. It's nice to have uh, someone from our own shores on and. Uh, I was I was saying to Rob earlier, Rob, probably our most contemporary guest. Uh, we're, we're so used to kind of covering things from the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. It's so great to talk to someone who's so heavily involved in modern comics and in in, in such a great book, to be honest, that me and Rob have reviewed. We, well, we reviewed the, the, the first couple of issues already here uh, on All Star Superfan, and we really, really, really loved it. Yeah, it's 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 delightful not having to beat around the bush. We really, really like this series. We're uh, we're, we're really quite fond of it and uh, can't wait to, to get talking about it. Well, thank you, so, guys. Yeah, so just to start off, Keen, just so everybody kind of gets to know you a little bit, was art always a huge part of your life? Was that something that you kind of grew up with? Did you grow up with comics? Or or what's your kind of backstory in relation to comic books themselves? Yeah, so so I, I got into comics because of my dad. So he had, like, all of the old, uh, like, all of the the Spider-Man comics. Every, like, he used to have a, a denim jacket. With all of the, do you remember Foom guys? Foom. So there was the, the there was Irish whole thing. word Foom. No, Foom is in the Friends of Our Marvel. Okay. No. So there was, a, yeah, there was, there was a, yeah, there was a like a membership club like back in the, I don't know, like the seventies, I think. Okay. Um, and Dad had like written in and done that, so he had this like super cool denim jacket. Cool at the time. Okay. Uh, I kind of, I, I think I kind of wish that your dad was my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if if he was in the denim jacket, you may change your mind. But the thing yeah. was, like, he had all of the like it had like uh, Thor patches and it had like Foom on the back. Like it was very very cool. But Dad nice. was like all in, and uh, cool. so I grew up with all of those. And I wasn't a huge fan of the antiquated stuff. So like yeah. artistically, 
I, Alan, I, I, I think we're more or less around the same age. Like I would have grown up into the nineties stuff, yeah. so it was very yeah. much the Jim Lee and the you know like Rob Liefeld, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, in and uh, so the artistic sensibility obviously had completely turned on its head yeah. by the by the nineties, and that was very much where I kind of came up. So yeah. Dad had like some pretty cool two thousand AD stuff. I would have drawn an awful lot of like Judge Dredd just based on those. But uh, I wasn't really kind of into the the old comics. They were certainly like yeah. part of the, the background. But dad was like pretty much into like, yeah, I'll pick you up the X-Men comics. I'll pick you up the Spider-Man stuff. But it was very much in the 90s. Yeah. So that was really kind of where it kicked off for me. And I just like, I would have lay on the floor and just just copied panel after panel after panel like did you read any so yeah, that, were, were you reading been... like image and malibu and all that kind of stuff back then young blood yeah no so it's really funny like i don't know how you guys feel about it i always feel a little bit kind of guilty explaining it this way but like so i would have read the comics for escapism but i absolutely never thought about who was making them Yes. So in terms of like the writers and stuff, I often let like an awful lot of my friends down, certainly the guys in the industry, like I cannot tell you who wrote what. Yeah. yeah. I can tell you the characters, the storylines, like where they were, like everything, like it meant everything. Well, like, that's that's very similar to like with films when when I was of that age, like I didn't know who Christopher Reeve was or who Richard Donner was or who any of these people were. You know, you had your characters, you had your movies and you didn't really like I, I've heard before a lot of people saying that that's how they got into making films was kind of seeing the credits and realizing that people had, you know, people had made this and people were behind it. But like, I'd be very similar to that and that it didn't really register with me at the time. Yeah, it wasn't until I was a lot older when people started going, oh, yeah, man, like Chris Claremont's X-Men. And yeah. for me, it was Jim Lee. Yeah. It, it was just Jim Lee. That was the only name I knew because of the, obviously, the impact it had. Uh, and then when I was a little bit older, it would have been Majorara. I don't know if you guys remember that, but like yes. transition into the whole Phalanx thing. And that guy was like, I think he was about 16 years old. And he he was like the flagship artist. And all of the the old school guys obviously had been told to like ape such an idiosyncratic artist yeah i went back and i read some of the uh some of the onslaught saga because that that was yeah. something that i oh, i adored it when i was like I, maybe 12 13 and i went back uh, on the marvel app and i looked at it and guys it is it's bad, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, and you know what's crazy is uh, seeing so many of like the industry, the industry greats. Yeah. And they were just aping Joe Mad, and he yeah. was doing something quite, quite uh, specific to himself. But he also hadn't kind of like grown into what he was doing. Yeah. And so they were, they were just aping him in his, uh, in his youngest stage. And so it's it's a really weird time. So yeah, the nineties kind of. For me, it was uh, an artistic thing, but uh, yeah, it wasn't really until much later that I even considered that somebody was kind of like trying to uh, uh, guide a narrative through it. Like yeah. that was, yeah. Because if anyone has played X-Men versus Street Fighter in the 90s, I think it was X-Men versus Street Fighter, that adapted the Onslaught saga and it's it's a lot of fun. Um, You're it's, joking. It's, it's probably a better game than that was a, a series of comics. So I'd probably check it out that way if you can. Yeah. <laughs> 
we we spoke before we we had Dan Jurgens on on the show before um recently enough actually and uh, obviously the 30th anniversary of death of superman was um was uh, last month and me and Rob have spoken before about how that kind of like I would have been about nine, ten around that point. Rob would have been a little bit younger, but like Death of Superman, a funeral yeah. for a friend, all that kind of stuff drew us into the comics. And then we kind of went back to like the John Byrne post-crisis era stuff and then kind of caught up with everything that ha- that followed that. Did that catch you at all? You would have been around the same age or did that bypass you? Was it kind of more Marvel and things that you were into at that time? So I was 100% into Marvel, but uh, the way I remember the death of Superman, that entire event, was that dad had it and I read it, but I read it not like a contemporary piece of uh, yeah. storytelling. I read it like one of his comics. Okay. So ah. there, there's a, like that kind of occupies like a weird uh, anachronistic space in my head like yeah. that yeah. I just kind of assumed it was one of the old stories when it was actually probably like running at the same time as a lot of the Jim Lee stuff right yes. in, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so but but I, I read it and I was obsessed with steel yes. like everything about that caught me like big time and I remember like uh, I remember um so he uh, in Death of Superman, he's fighting against what's the name of the the Do- Doomsday. Uh, yeah, so Doomsday, right? So Doomsday always felt, uh, and uh, this is wow, guys, we're like dragging some like childhood key and stuff out here, but like Doomsday always felt a little bit like uh, an an empty oh absolutely an empty villain yeah absolutely yeah okay so like I've not kind of uh, I've not reinterrogated any of this I'm like this you guys pr- probably have done but yeah. like for me. I remember reading all of that stuff and and he just felt a little bit like just kind of, I don't know, like a protagonist for the sake of a protagonist. Mm-hmm. But I do remember falling like fully in love with, with Steel in particular. The Eradicator was kind of cool, but didn't, didn't yeah. really get it. Superboy, I do remember reading one of the issues where you find out that like, uh, was there was a twist to that, right? He was a yeah. So he was he, he was a clone, but he initially thought oh, that he yeah. was a dire- directly a clone of Superman. But then later on, he finds out that actually he was just a clone, and they tried to make him as similar as Superman as possible, but they didn't quite succeed. And his powers are slightly different. I feel yeah. like I feel like that's the extent. Years and years later, you find out that he's actually half a clone of Superman and half a clone of Lex Luthor. Yeah. But that that didn't factor in at that stage. So, it, but it's quite funny though. Like, I do remember reading whatever the revelation was, mm. and I genuinely remember the the emotional impact of his response yeah. to finding out the truth. Yeah, and yeah. and I do remember that, which is quite funny. Like, uh, but other than that, like, uh, Death of Superman. Obviously, I remember the the cover. Yeah. Um, which was something that I bore in mind when I did one of my final pages in The Son of Superman, which uh, I, I can explain in a little bit. But um, I, I do remember that. And uh, I do remember as well, for whatever reason, uh, when we were at that age, guys, like just at that sweet spot, I think I also read the novelization of it. Yes, the Roger Stern novelization. It's very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like black cover, like big superman logo on the front i i I think i also probably read that as well but yeah so and just to kind of get into say your your where you are now how did how did that come about like how how did you decide to pursue drawing comics as a a career as a profession 
Yeah, so um, uh, uh, Alan, you and I were talking briefly uh, earlier today before we were recording and uh, yeah. you were saying like, oh, you know, I grew up in Waterford and there weren't too many, like the idea of like trying to find a career in comics was just like, just, it was just, It was a different world, yeah. Like I, I yeah, could imagine, yeah. I could imagine turning to, speaking of fathers, I could imagine turning to my father and saying that my, my, my goal was to draw or act or anything like that. It would have been, yeah, forget nice. about it. For yeah. sure, yeah. So, so, it, so it was the same for me, right? Like, I mean, growing up in a in a town in Wicklow, yeah. And like, it it was something that I I do remember the odd time you'd find like ads for the Kubert School in New York, yeah. and it was always like there. You'd think about it, like in, yeah. in your in your old mind, like just incredible, just the idea that there was somewhere to go, but it wasn't really anything, and and I would just like sketch everything all the time. Spider-Man in particular, but the X-Men, just Wolverine, everything, just absolutely loved it. Dad had actually like passed me some Spawn stuff because he, somebody that he had worked with, was like, "Oh no, this stuff, you should check this out." But I mean, like, guys, I mean, Spawn at at that age, I mean, yeah. like, so I think about creators back then, but like, they were just they hit that sweet spot. Spawn was just captivating. I mean, just a ridiculous character, but. Uh, yeah, so uh, I finished school. Uh, I went into a portfolio course uh, to get into art college. And the woman who teaches the portfolio course, we're very good friends now. Man, that woman deconstructed every part of not just the way I drew, but like my entire personality. It was like she would not put up with how cocky I was back then. Like I was I was hard work. Okay. And uh she she was like, Ian, stop, like, don't don't draw things like there's muscles in everything. Like if you're gonna draw a, a curtain, like it can't be bulging. And so like she just showed me how to like work loose. I had gone into Forbidden Planets, the, the comic store in Dublin. No and uh, I had just kind of wandered down to the back and found this pink hard hard uh, cover book. And I just bought it just because I liked it. And it was just Ashley Wood stuff. And I spent most of my second and third year in college just like trying to draw stuff that looked a bit like his. So part of me was still like kind of gravitating towards that. But again, just in an environment where it just it just wasn't being kind of fed. Yes. So uh, I got into my final year and got my degree. And my mom at the time, she was uh, she was playing golf in this like uh, golf club in, in the area that they were living in. And she found herself out <laughs> on the course and she said, as as Irish mothers do, like, oh, my son, he's just finished college. He's very talented. Like, he made a comic and it, it, it looks fantastic. And one of the guys with her on that day said, uh, oh, yeah, is it, is it good? And she said, yeah, it's fantastic. He said, oh, well, you should uh, you should send it to me. I'd really like to see it. The guy was Robert Galton. And Robert Galton was the ex-president of Marvel Comics. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> that's a fortuitous game of golf. Rid- ridiculous but i mean it's like that's the way everything works right it's just like lightning strikes right but in the most perfect way uh i sent sent it to him uh he sent it to tom defalco who was the current editor-in-chief of marvel comics at the time and he sends a letter back to to uh to jim and it basically said like essentially jim thank you so much great to hear from you uh i hope you're keeping well all that kind of stuff now listen and um, please tell Mr. Tormey. And it was three pages, lads, Ooh. of just he tore it to shreds. Yep. <laughs> shreds. 
And uh, it, it like my mom genuinely was like, oh, I'm not sure if I should give this to Kean. Like, don't know how he's gonna receive it. The thing was, most of the the uh, criticisms he had were like totally valid. It, yeah. it was like, yeah. if you're gonna introduce characters, don't do like biography pages for the characters. It's stuff like that. It, it's yeah. irrelevant stuff. But I had done it for the page counts to to get it perfect bound. I wanted to get something. Yeah. that had a gum spine on it so it wasn't stapled i didn't want it to feel like a shitty like book yeah, yeah. i wanted it to feel like a graphic novel so i had like padded stuff like grants so a lot of the stuff he tore it apart but everything was was constructive and uh, i went over to florida uh, i think the following year and i met him in his house and he was like okay well listen keen tell me like what do you what do you want to do um what's what's the plan yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like oh you know what it's like oh, maybe i want to be a writer or maybe i want to be an editor i didn't know what an editor was like i didn't know anything about writing either but i was like one of the things that i did learn was like we like humans need taxonomy like we need to yeah. be able to box people off yeah and if you walk in anywhere and i've said this to so many juniors and i've said it to an awful lot of uh comic artists but also lots of like photographers directors and stuff like you if you have a business card that says I'm a director, but I'm also a, an illustrator and I'm a designer, it's like you, you're you not. Like yeah. you might have all of those skills, but you have to pick a lane because like okay. people can't put you anywhere. And and I, I, it took me a while to learn this, but like Jim taught me that lesson, even if I didn't learn it at the time. And he was like, Ian, listen, make up your mind. Whenever you decide what it is you want to be, just, just let me know. And I had this like golden ticket, guys. Like it just... Yeah. And I was what, like maybe 23, 20, about 23. And three years pass. And I, I just kept thinking about Jim Galton. At the time, I just kept thinking like, oh, Keen, you've left it too long, man. You can't call him. Like, oh, what are you going to do? No, you have to produce something. Otherwise, you can't call him. And I just never called him. And and what essentially ended up happening was mum told me like he, he actually just passed away. Oh, God. And I, I was like... I, d I don't know what lesson to learn here. Yeah. So I started working in advertising and I loved it. Genuinely loved it. So everything took off and I was like, shit, this is great. And uh, as I was kind of doing that, my copywriting partner, Enda McNally, he had said, oh, hey, look, it looks like there's a, a comic convention in Dublin. It's called Dice. Oh, it does. And there was a, yeah, do you remember that? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That particular time, uh, uh, Enda had said, uh, Kian, like there's a, there's a Marvel talent scout here. And the Marvel talent scout was C.B. Sibulski. I was at, I was at that one. <laughs> oh, were you really? Yeah, I was, yeah. I, 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 I filmed, I filmed all the panels at that one actually. Oh, fantastic. Well, I, do you know what? In fairness, like we definitely crossed paths <laughs> yeah. then as well, Rob. So, <laughs> so I, I just like banged out about, I think four pages of like some kind of made up Captain America thing. And then uh daredevil thing. And I went to Stevie Sibulski and I presented them uh, the pages. And he was like, this is great. Listen, uh, email me on Thursday. Here's my card. Email, email me on Thursday. I'll send you some test pages and, and we'll go from there. So I did. He sent me a few scripts back and he was like, pick one of these, just like bang out five pages and, and you know, uh, show me what you've got. So I did. And guys, I think like I, I probably spent maybe like three, three months, four months working on the five pages. So I spent a, an inordinate amount of time working on these pages and sent them back to C.B. Sibulski. And of course, he never replied. Yeah. 
Like, why would you? Like, <laughs> and I think back on it now, lads, and like to spend that much time on five pages. And I often find myself here trying to get five pages out in like three days. I was thinking yeah. that. So it, the idea, it felt like an inordinate oh. amount of time. I remember C.B. Sabolsky actually at that panel, he described how like literally his desk is just piles and piles of books that people have sent him to read and oh, like sure. stacks and stacks of art and like you're lucky if he gets to it at all like because there is literally yeah. so much oh for sure guys like i mean these guys are just like pestered right so i was like okay keen that was that was chance number two and you blew that right like fine just put this to bed you know okay. or, or 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 do it and is it what, what was it something that was just kind of constantly in the back of your mind or was it a case that it would just kind of rise to the surface every now and again no i think i i think it was an absolute example of pure ignorance like i genuinely thought you'd just like draw some shit and they'd be like kin just come in and, and then, and then you, right and like of course that's not how it works that's not how anything works so I, I, I made this decision that I was like, okay, look, um, if you're going to do anything, if you're going to try and put anything together, like you're, you're just going to have to do it on your own. It was around the time that Sean Gordon Murphy, who's like a huge Batman artist now, I'm not sure if you guys are yeah. familiar with him. But he's yeah, white knight. He's amazing. Really good. Yeah, he's absolutely incredible. He's also a, like just a disarmingly pleasant guy like just a genuinely lovely guy he had run this retreat in his house where he chose like the five best artists he brought them to his house in, in like upstate new york and over the course of a week or two they they drew a book all of them everybody had like a couple of pages and they produced a hardcover book they they uh, printed it they ran it themselves and it, he was going to run it for a second year so obviously applied for it Two days later, he emailed me personally and he was like, Kian, so DC had got onto me and said, like, if there's anybody that's like of notes in, in the uh, submissions, they wanted to see it. So he put me in touch with Brian Cunningham, who was the group editor of all of the Justice League books, like for a really long time. He's not with DC anymore. Okay. And so suddenly I was like, fuck, I'm talking to DC now. Like, you know, uh, and, and guys, again, just to put it in context, like, Still working, living in my one-bedroom apartment in Dublin, like nothing had really changed. Working in comics had not become any more real than it had ever been, you know? So he said, uh, Keen, nice pages, uh, janky foot on, on this particular page. <laughs> and uh, I was like, cool. So immediately changed the foot, sent it back to him. And I was like, okay, Keen, like stay on this, right? Like don't don't be a flake this time. Which is like trying, He's trying. on the hook. You just got to reel him in. So that's what I was thinking, right? And then, like, obviously, like, nothing happened. Like, nothing happens. Because, like, again, as as you said, like, I mean, if C.B. Sabolsky is saying that his desk is just, like, if yeah. he is, like, under an avalanche of books, I mean, yeah. in fairness, like, who are you, you know? Like, if you're sending stuff, okay, so fine, right? So bear that in mind. Uh, I had gone to a couple of shows throughout that time, and I kept showing my portfolio, and I kept getting business cards. Like you'd sit with a with a DC uh, editor or like a Dark Horse editor, and everyone would be like, "Kian, this is great." They give me a business card, and I got to the point, lads, where I was like, "I'm just not. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm literally yeah. flying to all these different countries and just collecting business cards. Yeah. It doesn't do anything, and it's not going to be the way in." So I was like, "Okay, like at, at what point now is it just? It's just over. Like it has to. Like it. It has to stop." I remember uh, 
Oh, there was a can't tell you the year, lads. Not sure if you remember, but there was a St. Patrick's Day where it snowed. Do you remember? Was it, that like two thousand and yes, I do remember the beast from the east. And uh, I had walked out of my friend Nell's house and it just was snowing and all of the trains were delayed about two or three hours. And I was just, just guys, like just trudging up and down the platform, like everything you can, just something to pass the time. And I, I was like, do you know what? Maybe the, the idea of just like trying to break in and everything, it's like, it's just, it's too big. Like you're not actually kind of getting anything. There's You've nothing to show for the stuff that, you, that you're doing. And, and I was like, Look, I love Stuart Immonen. He's he's my favorite artist. He he's yeah. just amazing. And I just thought, well, why don't you just try and do a story and just try and get it in front of him? And over the next few months, I uh, wrote a five-page short story, maybe six pages, uh, illustrated it, and um, got a friend of mine to color it. Got another friend of mine to letter it. Put the whole thing together put it in front of Mark Miller on Twitter, whatever. And he Lovely. fucking loved it. He was like, this is amazing. I'm going to send it to Stuart. No idea if he ever did or not. It doesn't really matter. But I was like, oh, well, this this is different. Like, I, So I can I can genuinely say that uh, I, I've achieved something at least, right, by by some measurements. So so I had, I had found this place in Toronto called the Raid Studio. It's where Ramon Perez, Cameron Stewart, Marcus Toe, all these guys were based. And uh, I was like, holy shit, a studio of comic artists. I've never heard of that. And after so many years of working in creative departments, the idea of transitioning out of like a creative department into a department full of comic artists. Well, like on paper, that sounds in, that sounds amazing. So I, I went to my creative director and I was like, uh, is there any chance you might give me like two, three months off? to just like go to Toronto and like see what it's like to just work. Follow, follow my dreams. Yeah. But like, but also again, like it's naive now. It's very funny. Like you're literally looking into my studio here. It's very quiet. Uh, but I was like, yeah, imagine like I could, I can like live the life of a comic artist, you know, as if, as if they had any. Um, and uh, so, so he was like, yeah, sure. So I went to Toronto and I, and I got into the studio and I sat at a desk there and I had reached out to, to James Asmus, who I absolutely love. And uh, he said, oh, shit, Keen, yeah, I'd fucking love to do a story. And suddenly I was in Toronto. I was sitting in this studio full of comic artists. And uh, I was working on a script from a professional comic writer. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I kind of did it, you know, like, as, as, as fleeting as this may be. And sure, I constructed the whole thing. But like, I'm, you know, this is, this is essentially it. There was a there was a comic expo uh, fan expo in Toronto that August I think, and I had tweeted that I you know I was going to cycle past it, and Kyle Higgins I don't know if you know Kyle he has yes run- I know Kyle Higgins yeah yeah he's done some great stuff Power with Rangers Steve. yes huge Power Rangers guy but did a lot of stuff with Stephen Mooney as well like they've got their own image book and like Kyle is just an absolutely incredible writer and. Uh, he uh, actually sent me a tweet. I was kind of blown away. And he was like, dude, are you in Toronto? Why don't you swing by the uh, the convention? So I did. And I, I met him and he was like, oh, dude, walk with me. And in between two of his panels, like we, we walked and he was like, uh, DC has this uh, 10-page story they want me to do. It's a Green Lantern story. And man, I, I think you'd be I think you'd be great for it. Like I, I'm, I might just pitch you to Alex Antone, who was the editor at the time. He was like, send me some stuff and like, I'll, I'll get it over. 
And I had I sent over the Batman pages that I had done from the scripts, like the pages that I had found uh, online. And I sent over the Empress page pages, like the story that I had done. And Alex told me later that um, the Batman pages were just way too fucking busy. Like, you know, I had just been trying to do too much. But he was like, the thing that got you the job was the Empress story. Look, I'm not sure what the lesson here is, but like that was from walking up and down that platform that snowy morning. And I was like, I'm just going to change the approach. That's all it was. And uh, so suddenly I was designing a Green Lantern and I was doing this Kilowog story. And I I remember just sitting there, guys, and I was like, man, you know what? Like, if you're allowed to design a character and the character doesn't have to ever turn up again, doesn't really matter. But like, you've just done something and you've reached into this universe that the three of us and all of us have known forever like and this universe it exists and like it's infinitely malleable right but to be able to do something and put it in there and just be like i have just legitimately affected this universe and and i remember talking to stephen uh stephen byrne like up in the so i had gone to new york comic-con and he had messaged me i hadn't met him and uh he was like, oh, Keen, look, I'll meet you by the fire escape here in this particular part of the Javits Center. And he brought me in through this door and up these like interior stairs and like this like damp concrete kind of area of the of the convention center and up into this big glass box that looked out over the entire convention floor on the top on the top parts. And it's the DC green room. And um, uh, I, I, I was like, I, I don't deserve to be here. Like, th- what is going on? One of the guys came over, put put their arm around me, and they were like, Kian, over here, that's the fridge, water, sandwiches, Coke, whatever you want. If you're tired from the show, just come up here, sit down. You're family now. And guys, I, I hadn't even done the the 10 page story, but that's that was the way DC was like immediately. And I remember talking to uh Stephen Mooney and uh, Nick Roach, and I was explaining what I just explained to you, as in like, do you not find this idea that like, guys, we, we're affecting literally the 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 stories, the like everything that exists within this whole like construct that we've all just enjoyed our whole lives. Do you not kind of think this is amazing that we get to like actually change this stuff? And I remember the two of them going, you know, I hadn't really thought about it. And I was like, <laughs> Stephen Mooney definitely thought about it because he draws Dick Grayson to look like himself. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's also that's also fair. But uh, no, but it was really funny because I was like, of course you haven't thought about it. I, here's me wandering around like fucking, I don't know, uh, like Yates, just like pontificating on like just the magic of all of this stuff. Anyway, uh, yeah, so guys, that was essentially it. Like I did my first 10-pager for... DC and I was really kind of uh, worried that that would be it. And then they gave me another 10 pager and then another one. I ended up uh, drawing a Paul Dini script. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Dave Wielgosh, who's like one of the editors of the the Bat Group in DC, he looked after me. So he put me with um, Mariko Tamaki, with uh, Paul Dini, he put me with, uh, I did one of his stories. Actually, he's a, a, a really gifted writer. And uh, so I was doing all these like 10 pages. And then Marvel 
uh, and this happens and there's other like fun stories if if i ever come back i'll tell you some some other fun stories but uh, uh as soon as dc is like gets you marvel comes after you like it's just like they don't they don't need to take a risk none of these companies need to take a risk on anybody but as soon as they do the other ones are just like hey because like they know who you are like you you don't exist in a vacuum, you know. I always remember, so I had been actually. Uh, sorry to interrupt, Keen. At, at that no, di- no, At that dice, we were both at. Scott Snyder was there, and yes, uh, someone mentioned at some stage to CB Sibulski, "Oh, you well, you know, Scott Snyder's here, you know, and he's doing so well in the Batman books and all that kind of stuff." And CB Sibulski went, "One day his contract's going to run out," <laughs> and it was as simple as that. And then we'll have him, you know. What was it? Was it? Was it a big decision to? Like when the ball started rolling with DC, you know, you got the Green Lantern and you were you were working at DC, and obviously that led to something else. That's like, was it was it a big decision to leave your career in in what you were doing to leave that industry and to, and and to go, or were you like, I'll never I'll never forgive myself if I don't take it, or yeah. So so what happened was Alan, to be honest, like I I got these ten page stories and it was quite staccato, and then uh, Marvel was doing the same, so they they were asking me to do some like. Uh, Doctor Doom stories and stuff like that and I was genuinely I mean just like killing myself Uh, I was I was like breaking stories down on the train on the way into work I was like coming in early and I was like drawing stuff the whole way through lunch breaks like evenings and then on the weekends I would go back into work and I would use my work computer so it's just like in Saturdays and Sundays it just was non-stop and uh, what ended up happening was I, I, I was like this has to reach a critical mass, right? Like, I mean, it can't, you can't just keep chipping at these 10 pages. And I remember when, uh, and it was really, it was a lovely moment. I uh, had gone to this uh, pitch, this creative pitch. We were had pitched for uh, a big uh, ferry company, right? And um, myself and uh, the, cop- the copywriter I'd been working with, oh man, like we plugged away at this creative platform for ages. We'd gone in and my creative director, the guy who had given me the few months off, we were in there and he realized while we were presenting the work, he was like, oh shit, these guys aren't looking for anything creative. And he just got like super disillusioned. Just another one of these meetings where it was like, guys, you know, the, like just the, the, we were we were way off. And so we walked back to the agency and he just was like, guys, I'm just fucking, I'm going home. Like just, just completely, he'd been switched off. And I sat down at my desk and I had this email from DC and I said, Hey, Keen, listen, we've got this full issue of Batman and the outsiders. And we're wondering if you're interested in taking it. And I sat there and I was like, well, lads, this is it. Right. So it's not like I can't do this over a weekend. I can't get this done on the evenings. This is the crossroads. And I was like, there is no choice to be made. I, I'm, I'm out of here. And, and I walked down to my uh, other creative director, one of my longest friends in advertising. And I, I was like, Des, I'm, I'm, I've got this thing. I think I'm going to have to go. And he was like, dude, of course you have to go. And I, I rang John. I said, look, uh, DC is just after offering me this, this full issue. And for, if, I ha- if I'm going to take it, I, I have to go, man. Like, I have to knock this on the head. And he said, do you know what? This morning was fucking awful. And he said, I never knew that the worst news I was going to get today was going to be the best news that I was going to hear. And that was the way my creative director said, like, dude, just fucking go. Just go. Did Richard Gere come in in a white uniform and pick you up and carry you out while everybody applauded? That that didn't happen, though. No? <laughs> it, was, it was certainly a guy. It was like Richard on gear. I don't know. I don't know if he was wearing it. 
but the, hey listen that's rough minds but uh yeah no so uh so that that was it guys like that was basically that was the transition it was like there was nothing else to do Let's go. i have a couple of things i want to pick up actually on the the, the story you just told there keen um you, you mentioned an extreme weather event that happened in ireland uh we, we think it was 2018 maybe it was 2017 um the, the the issue we keep referring back to where superman comes to dublin ireland for i believe the very first time ever i i stand to be corrected on that um no no i i i can i can tell you categorically that it is true we got the dc archivists to check it but my, my, my point is that there is a line in that exact panel when he's flying to ireland where it says this isn't the first uh mega storm that has hit ireland did you have a hand in that? Were you like, did you tell Tom Taylor to reference back to that fateful time when Ireland was hit by the beast from the east? I So what I remember was uh, Tom had emailed me and we didn't really know each other very well. We had done Injustice t- together and he had uh, requested me on this book. But like, I also had a little bit of like, uh, don't be don't be annoying Tom Taylor. Like, don't be sending him stuff. And I, obviously that's not how this works. Uh so uh, at the time he was like, "Hey, Keen, do you want to do you want to do like a scene in Ireland?" And to be quite honest, my immediate reaction was like, "Absolutely not!" Really? Like, I just yeah, just because like I just didn't want to like guys. I had done uh, ad campaigns for TG Cahar, right? And I remember going down and, and pitching stuff to to them, and uh, they were like, oh, "We just don't want this plastic paddy shit." Like for God's sake, don't don't try and sell us this this shite paddy idea of, of Ireland. We don't want Arby O'Gill and the little people. We don't want... Exactly. And I yeah. don't know if you guys have seen it, but like tweet this the odd time, but like I cannot handle the American like Irish accents in films and stuff. Like, yeah. I don't know why they're still doing it. Anyway, so uh, initially my reaction to Tom was like, man, look, I, if they're going to expect some kind of like thatch cottage thing, like I just, I really just don't want to do it. Like I'd rather just leave it then make it worse, you know? And he was like, no, Keen, like, this is our book, man. Like, if that's not the way you want to draw it, then that's not the way we draw it. Like, it's just, it's not a thing. So we we tossed some ideas backwards and forwards about what a storm would be in Ireland. And to be quite honest, we had essentially settled, as far as I understood, on something in the Midlands, like a flooding thing, because like that had been happening quite a bit at the time. And uh, I was also trying to tell him, I was like, dude, we don't have extreme weather events in, in Ireland. Like, we genuinely don't he turned the script in and it was about like this thing going off in the atlantic and the liffy was going to flood and we had previously discussed whether we would like do any damage to the pool bags and i was like absolutely not they are off limits like but like the spires like let's fucking get that out of here right so so the thing was he had uh, a much maligned spire so for for anyone for anyone who doesn't know, most of our listeners are in the U.S. For anyone Sorry, who doesn't guys, know, yeah. there's, there, there's a big thing in in the center of Dublin called the Spire. Uh, it, it it was a big vanity project by a politician we had at the turn of the century. A lot of people don't like it. They say it's a waste of money. So Keen's obviously your first instinct was let's destroy the Spire. Well, so look the thing. Look, I am merely a vessel for the writer, and uh, so I received the script. And in the script, the uh, the spire had collapsed on our general post office, which is a, an extremely significant building to us. And uh, yeah, like having told Tom that we don't get extreme weather events, I I had turned in the pages of drawing all of that. And about two weeks afterwards, we had an extreme weather event. 
Like there was a huge, <laughs> huge storm that blasted most of Ireland. I don't know if you guys remember. Yeah. Like, oh, I remember. Ridiculous. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, the uh, what was what was the line in particular that you were wondering? How, like, uh, John has something in his internal monologue where he's like, "This isn't the first uh, megastorm to hit Ireland, but it's the most extreme one, or something like that." And I was like, "Is this a reference to like a specific event that actually happened?" No. If 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 anything, that may have been like uh, I I I can't speak for Tom, but like speaking just in terms of like the a narrative structure i would imagine that is a nice way to just prep the fact that this thing's about to happen considering i had told him that they never happen so it was probably more about like oh these things do happen now if i remember i don't remember that particular piece of dialogue but the idea of what had caused the the event was that a weather bomb had been let off over the sea so uh, I think John may have also been trying to contextualize what he was looking at, so that that might explain some of it. But no, I I don't think it was in in direct reference to anything in particular. Well, su suffice to say, Keen, I you know we've talked about plastic patty stuff. There's that famous episode of The Simpsons where they go to Dublin and it's just fields of green as far as the eye can see. I remember reading this comic going, oh my God, not only is Superman in Dublin, he's flying in the correct direction <laughs> in every panel. Yeah. Like, and like my girlfriend works in the Borgosh Energy Theater. Really? You have the, you know, you have the, um, the convention center where Dublin Comic Con is yeah. on every year is like right there in the panel. Like it's, it's just perfectly done. But again, I, I just want to contextualize for the, for like, uh, like there's probably a lot of of our listeners and American listeners going, why are these guys so excited? <laughs> right? What is going on here? And like, it's easy for you guys when you live in New York and Spider-Man is swinging past your window since the 1960s. Like, like we were saying earlier, Keen. Or even if like, you live in Australia, like the, how many times have we seen Australia and it's the... Oh, it's the just opera a, the opera or, house. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Or, or or in London and it's Big Ben. Like you see those in comics all the yeah. time. We get no love here, and we grew up in the nineties when we were bereft. I mean, we recently have to. We recently had to. Uh, we recently reviewed the Steel. Speaking of Steel, the Steel movie from ninety from ninety seven. Oh, amazing the Shaquille O'Neal movie, and we were saying like you know. It's easy to look back now and laugh, but we were so completely bereft of superhero oh, yeah, content sure. here. Well, do you know what? I'll tell you what, Alan, do you know what I remember from that film? And this is will not ring any bells for anyone, but I remember watching that. There is this absolutely incredible goon in that film. He's like a, this huge, With the voice. huge black dude. Uh, and I just, yeah, I just remember, uh, I remember like I rewound it and rewound it and rewound it because it was the fucking coolest thing I'd ever heard. He just turns around and he goes, get the weapons and it's just his <laughs> voice is so deep that is all i remember about that film you we have actually, to check out you have to check out a review of it. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah definitely i was so convinced that that guy was so imposing and so like otherworldly i was like he can't be an actor surely he's a basketball player as yeah well. for sure but he, he he is an actor apparently he's in a bunch of movies i was oh, i was know. expecting you to say you know that guy's like five four like he's, he's <laughs> like get the weapons. I don't know why that just like sat in my brain. I'll never forget it. So Keen, when you're when you when you were speaking earlier on to the fact that you know, like as a fan, it had it had it had hit you that even to just leave a footprint in this universe was an incredible, incredible thing that so few people who love this universe get to accomplish or get to do. Yeah. What is it like to look at the front of a comic book, a Superman book, 
and see the words keen tourney on it yeah yeah like genuinely it's uh, i i i hope it i hope it doesn't kind of starts to just like mean nothing but so far guys it's just it just never stops being something amazing like the uh the first collected edition of uh son of super like volume two where i stepped on an issue seven that just got released this week and I saw to, that. yeah so to see like tom taylor kian tormi bruno redondo it just it, it on the cover it's just it is genuinely something else like and uh yeah but even like the magazines that the go out to all of the comic stores you know the solicitations that they base their their uh their orders on like you're you're just listed in in everything and it's just it's crazy and guys this goes all over the world so there is there is a a scale to this that is absolutely staggering yeah of course like ego wise there's it's it's wonderful to see your name on things and uh there is certainly a lot to be done in terms of like uh uh comics reviews and journalism in terms of like educating the reviewers on what the artist actually does like there's there's a lot there's a uh, like a lot of grants cover there and, and, and i want to pick up on something actually like we talked a lot about 90s artists earlier on and how much you admired them i don't get that vibe from your art at all in the best possible way by the way like i was what i was reading some of rereading some of your issues last night and there's this beautiful scene you drew where it's just jonathan kent talking to batman about uh, jay nakamura and I was there going, this is just a scene of two characters having a cup of tea. And I absolutely love it. I love how it's written. I love how it's drawn. And, you know, I, I, you know, a lot of household name artists struggle to make scenes like that interesting because they struggle with human expression. They can't make human expression interesting. A lot of the biggest artists in comics, some of the artists we've discussed tonight, the way that they'll have like three expressions. They'll have, you know, badass grimace you know, uh, happy, laughing, and then, like, you know, they'll have, like, three... But you just brought this whole range of expression into that scene, and I was like, this is just so pleasant to read. So, like, what's your approach to something like that? Do you enjoy drawing those kinds of scenes, or do you go, get me to the action? Well, Rob, thank you. Genuinely, thank you. Like, that's extremely gratifying to hear that. Like, you know, the thing is, I I think I made a, a decision uh, that, look, I might not be able to uh like nail like the big dynamic spreads all the time but only because it's not what it's not what the script is asking me to do like i i don't need to necessarily go into like the whole image like you know the the jim lee just like massive splashes like just mad so, look if if i if the opportunity is there i'll i'll go all in but my 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 responsibility is is the storytelling um and the storytelling is the acting of the characters so being able to convey what they're feeling is like that's to me that's kind of the the whole point like i agree entirely. so uh there's a, there's a, a lovely thing about uh so in that issue um john kent uh jonathan kent is in like grand grandfather kent uh, finds himself out on the balcony talking to uh, to Batman, but uh, in the script, like Tom had written, like essentially like three or four pages where uh, they were just Batman and Jonathan Kent are just like talking on a balcony, and it's 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 a stretch, you know. Like there's only so many ways you can frame things and like keep things interesting. And I love the talking head pages, 
like as an artist, uh, I think people roll their eyes at it. But like, if you can't do those, if you can't find something interesting in those, like you're in the wrong job. Like it's because that's like, yeah, it's just it's it's the hardest part. And uh, there, there's moments where uh, in that particular issue, uh, just before uh, Jonathan Kent and Batman are on, on the balcony um, on the panel previous, John uh, Superman's son is like he, he shoots off like quite confrontational. And Jonathan Kent has two mugs in, in his hands, right? And I put uh, world's best mom and world's best dad on the mugs. It's it's not in the script. Once the like Batman and, and Jonathan Kent are on the balcony, the mugs became the, the point. Like they're talking and there's only so many ways you can swing a camera around two lads on a balcony, like in fairness. And, uh, but the thing is, there is a moment as well where like I got to then cut into Jonathan Kent's point of view and he's looking down at the mug and he's talking about the sacrifices that himself and Martha made, you know, to, to like, to raise this, this kid. And he's looking at it and it says the world's best dad on, on the mug. And then it cuts back to Batman and he's genuinely struggling with, uh, whether like John Kent should have his boyfriend because his boyfriend, we, we don't know yet, but like he has ties to some like uh, rebels and stuff. But Batman is carrying this mug that just says, says world's best mum on it. And it's genuinely funny. Like, and the mugs are doing more storytelling in that moment. And it's just not part of anything. It's just, it's, it's, it's incidental to the scene. And, you know, it's really funny. Like I, I've, I've spoken to people a lot about, uh, you know, what the writer brings to it and what the artist brings to it. And it's like pretty tired, uh, pretty tired argument. But uh, a friend of mine had watched the, um, uh, oh, the he had watched the documentary recently, and uh, he he texted me to say, "Hey, listen, man, I've found like the most perfect art- articulation of this." The writer tells the artist what the story is, but the artist tells the reader what the story is, and and that's the division of labor, like. And that really just seemed like quite profound to me where it was like, there's an awful lot that gets brought to uh, like interpreting what's going on on the page. And sometimes you can add a little bit, sometimes you have to take a little bit away, but like, those are the moments that uh, if, if you, if if you're drawing these things, Rob, like, to be honest, if you can't find those moments to just find some way to juice something, like just put something incidental in or, like these things, like uh, in screenwriting, they're called uh, objective corollaries. These things where like a, an item can signify uh, the the feelings of the of the characters. Like that's like I mean that's the that's the craft, right? I mean I love that stuff. That's yeah, bread and butter. Just to bring it back to basics a little bit, Keen, I was just wondering, like when say you're working with some with someone like Tom, how exactly? Forgive my ignorance, now, but how does it work exactly? Like I mean, do you get a script? in the mail and then you literally think of everything or does he kind of have storyboards or something like is it is it comp- no it's it's literally a script it's like a movie script only the difference is it's not a shot list it's broken down by panels so the 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 genuinely the, the wonderful thing of working with a writer like tom is like he is just there's no fat on anything he like tells you what the story beat is he lets you interpret it and then the rest is just like, just, just make it feel like something, you know? And, uh, and he writes these incredible scenes that are just so, so heavy, emotional, like, yeah. 
So uh, he's a great yeah, writer. He really, he really is. Like, and to be quite honest, he gave me so many like extremely uh, important moments, and uh, yeah, like bringing those to life was genuinely a joy. But yeah, no, Alan, it comes in like a uh, just a script. It will literally say page one. There will be maybe five panels, and then it will say panel one. It'll tell you what the establishing shot is. It'll tell you what's happening and what the dialogue is. Because uh, whatever you're laying out, you have to always accommodate for what the letterer is going to do. So you can't just like draw huge characters if you want. You have to leave space for where that dialogue's going to go. I have to. I have to add in. Uh, Simon Spurrier always tells the story that like every comic book writer delivers scripts in a different way so alan moore will write you know we open on a vista and you know and and it needs to evoke the feeling of of a morning breeze and all this whereas john wagner when he's writing a judge dread script he'll write dread on bike grim and that's the script yeah yeah look uh, you know uh, it's a hundred percent subjective right but like so my background is advertising and i'm like look your script is finished when you can't take anything away from it so like I don't need any of this. Like you've hired me to to do this. If you if you uh, send me the script, uh, hopefully the reason why I'm on the book is because you trust me to like kind of like bring it to life in a particular way. There are so many talented artists. If they have a a way of uh, interpreting things, like that's hopefully what why they would be on that project. You know. So like I don't really I don't really want too much of that. Personally, I don't really want anybody to say like, oh, you know, the, the wind is blowing and all this kind of stuff. It's like, I can't, I, I can't draw it. I, I, there's nothing I can do for you. Like I have to make some very critical decisions in terms of what exactly is it that you want me to get the, the reader to, to understand as I bring them from the top left to the bottom right? Like that's all I can do. So yeah, a lot of that stuff is like, just save yourself the hassle. It's not a novel. Yeah. Yeah, and the book itself, like I said, we we reviewed the first few issues ourselves. I've actually ordered the um the the, the collected uh, book now from from Dublin City Comics, um. But the the reviews, like a lot of fans love it. There are some detractors, like we all saw that the negative media backlash to the the John Kent uh, being bisexual, that nonsense that people were giving out about it and all that kind of stuff. Um, like, does that affect you as an artist when you're doing it, like the reviews and 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 like, do you kind of look to find out what people think afterwards or do you just move on to the next thing no uh in terms of like the the the, the ridiculous like the bigotry no that's not really like in fairness uh every so often <laughs> like i always know when tom has like tagged me in a tweet because like i have to put my phone in the freezer like they're just <laughs> like just just goes off in your pocket and it just goes supernova uh i would be more inclined to like share the things i like and always just kind of be as positive as i can I think that has genuinely had an impact on whatever way the algorithm certainly uh, serves things back to me because for all of that kind of bigotry stuff and guys, we've, we, we did some stuff in injustice where uh, the Joker uh, says, Oh, I might be a bigot, but I'm not a Nazi. And like lads, actual Nazis were tweeting. I, I was like, this is surreal. Like I know we know that they exist and I know that that's a thing, but like, not that they'd be texting you. Like it was genuinely weird stuff. But by and large, uh, Tom takes the brunt of it. He he is the he's the uh, the most public facing part of this. 
for me, I have to tell you, the fan interaction is just essentially just purely positive. It has been one of the most incredible things to be involved in, uh, certainly in my life and with all the creative stuff I've, I've, I've managed to do in other careers as well. Like I get uh, messages, guys, from uh, young kids saying like, thank you so much. It's It's wonderful to be represented and like this is something that i can identify with like it's great and obviously uh representation is important but i also get an awful lot of messages from like older like uh gay men and like uh queer people saying like look it wasn't there maybe when i needed it but the fact that it's here now i potentially need it more than i did then like there's been some like really i've had some just incredible incredible messages and uh, i don't know if you guys have seen it but uh i drew this uh superman had been gone for a while and uh, dc had made this uh decision that they were going to bring him back right so there's like loads of kind of like up, up high decisions to do it or reasons to do it and so i had to draw this moment where they uh john and his dad came together and hugged and uh, again, one of my favorite, favorite things I've ever drawn, but like it just blew up, right? So, but the kind of right wing kind of like crazy big part of it, I don't know if you guys saw any of it, but uh, they, were, they were like, "Is hey, fellas, is it gay to hug your son? Oh, I did see this. Yes, I did see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. is, it oh, is very funny, Alan. Like it is beyond parody. It's like, I mean, it's like an Onion article. It's like, really? But like, we like when you think about it like how excited like me and you rob were to see irish representation when john comes to dublin like imagine what it is like to finally see someone in a superman suit who represents you absolutely oh alan like jen but to that point like in the same issue and i have made this point before it's very funny to me in the same issue that john comes to dublin he also uh goes into the kitchen with lois and tells his mother that he's gay. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll correct you. I'll correct you, Kean. Lois invites him into the kitchen and tells him that she loves him un- unconditionally. She she loves every part of him. Oh, Rob, I had to draw the sitting room from every angle. And I, man, I can't tell you how many times I Googled modern family. It's essentially their sitting room. That's basically what I was drawing, right? So uh, so he goes into the he goes into the kitchen. And honestly, like for so many people, it is such an important moment that like uh, John's mother, our Lois, like just the, the perennial Lois Lane accepts him for who he is. And in Ireland, the fucking CHQ building was tweeting me going, hey, look, we're in the background. Hey, you got rid of the spire. It was so funny. Like, just the, <laughs> the, the, the cultural importance could not have been more distinct. It was really genuinely very funny. So, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and look, talk about leaving a footprint on on something like that is something you should be immensely proud of for for the rest of your careers, for the rest of your lives. That and we've said it before. Myself and Rob have spoken about it. You know, whatever is happening with Superman on the big screen, whether people like it or don't like it, like it is, it's almost like another kind of like the run of the last few years has been superb. When has when has come to Superman books? Like it really is. If if people aren't engaged in what's going on currently with the Superman books, I highly recommend that you you jump back in because I mean they've been on fire for the last couple of years. I think. Yeah, the the War World saga has been so good. Son of Kal El has been so good. I've just been really really enjoying it. And like to piggyback on something you've you've kind of both said, like 
as much as Son of Kal-El is kind of a, a, a new book pushing the mythos in a brave new direction, it's also a really refreshing throwback to the kinds of Superman stuff I liked growing up, where it's him going around saving people and saving them in interesting ways and being clever about it. He's not just punching people the whole time, which I find really, really boring. Rob, I was up in Madrid with Tom like about three weeks ago and we uh, we were having dinner, like a whole load of us at a, at a show. And uh, we were laughing about the fact that um, uh, John doesn't punch anyone. I never, I never drew John throwing a punch at anybody. So we we got like what up to issue eighteen, and there's like some battles, there's like fights and stuff. John struggles with who he is and how to like deal with things, but he never threw a single punch. And then and then Bruno was like. I don't know. In, in, in my issue, I think I. <laughs> and in Bru- there's one panel in Bruno's issue where John punches a dude in the face, and you're like, Bruno, come on, man! We were so close. We were so close. But anyway, yeah. So oh, I yeah, never, that, I never did. That's the Nightwing Bruno. one. Yeah, I read that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. When the crossover, like I can't remember, like issue ten, I, I think something like that. Yeah. Well, Bruno got like John like punching dudes in the face. I didn't, but anyway, it it, it does exist, but. So, Keen, what's what's next for you? What what what's coming up? Is there anything you can talk about? Are, are we going to see your name on more Superman books in the future? What's what's the story? So, for the moment, Superman, no. But just before we started recording, uh, DC uh, announced that uh, I'm working with G Willow Wilson on a four part series uh, series for the Lazarus Planet. So uh, we're doing a whole uh, Wonder Woman and Shazam crossover where they take on the gods themselves. Oh, wow. So I like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. Like, it's going to be so much fun. So, yeah, just uh, I, when, when you were like, oh, Kian, uh, what are you working on? And you had mentioned it earlier. I was like, I'm not sure if I can say this yet. And I just started getting the emails in and then it went live. So it's like, yeah, no, it's like, I better now. So. Rob, is there anything else you'd like to ask before we, before we finish up? Yes, uh, I alluded to this before we started recording. Kean, uh, you and I have a mutual uh, acquaintance in that I think your next door neighbor in Docky is my boss, who I often... Uh, so I, I'm a freelance TV producer. Uh, the TV production company that I spend most of the year working with, um, the managing director of that lives beside you in Docky, I think. And at one point in time, uh, your comics were accidentally delivered to him. And you had to, do you remember this? That happens a lot, guys. Like the the lad, the guys on the terrace, like there is so much, the comics are spread up and down that that road for me. Like it's very funny. But but my, my, my favorite part of the story though, is that uh, he, his son opened the comics and was reading them, was having a great time. You came to the door, collected them. But then for some reason, he, he told me that, I don't know, did he overhear like over the fence or whatever? He said that you play the John Williams theme when you're drawing Superman comics. Is that true? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, like, and obviously I also just before I sit down, like crack my knuckles and pull my underpants on and over my jeans and, <laughs> and like just get straight into work. Yeah, guys, it's all about creating the atmosphere. Uh, I, I absolutely love that. That was my favorite part of the story. 
Keen, it's been an absolute pleasure pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, we we you'll, ha- you'll have to come back and chat some more to us, and we can get into to more technical stuff about you know the comics creation, all that kind of stuff. We can't wait. To, you've been absolutely superb and so kind with your time. Or or weird nerdy stuff that you're into because you've seen the Steel movie, so I can't wait to see what else. Uh... And maybe bring your dad. See if I can find him. He's like uh, he's uh, there's a, a Crystal uh, Palace somewhere close to the. North Pole? <laughs> no, I'm joking. So, uh, yeah, no, guys, thank you. And also, thank you for letting me uh, absolutely just kind of wander through that uh, that origin story. Not at all. It's great. I, we love hearing that kind of stuff. And our listeners love hearing that kind of stuff because they have no idea how this kind of thing happens, how someone transitions, like not only maybe grows up and studies art and, and gets to follow their dreams, but then someone who has a career, how they transition completely from that career to 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 something as as amazing as as what you do now you know yeah well alan i I flew back to dublin uh close to the beginning of the year uh to give a talk essentially about that like just about the cultural relevance of superman and uh being able to work on it and as i was pulling files to just like put the presentation together i realized that that kind of pretty much from the cb sobolski part up to the point where i started like actually doing the work that took about nine years and there were so many stops and starts, but like, it feels very immediate. Like it feels like it kind of started. And then in a very short period of time, I went from like drawing these 10 page stories to becoming an exclusive DC artist, like, and then drawing Superman. It just, it just happened so fast. But then when you look back over it, it really kind of was not to disillusion anyone, but it, like it, it took its time, you know, it really like you forget it, but like there was a bit of a slog in there. Well, for Keen, whatever it's worth, I think um, at least as far as the 17-year-old version of John Kent is concerned, I think the the cover of uh, Son of Kal-El, issue 7, I think, or, or no, issue issue 10, sorry, issue 10, where he's flying in front of Metropolis and, you know, he, it, it's just a beautiful, beautiful image. I think that that is the definitive John Kent image. So, well, thank you. You know, t- take that as as you will. So, Keen, thanks again. It's been great having you on the podcast. It's been an absolute blast. And uh, we're so proud of you. From everybody back home, everything you've accomplished with the character, with your career, we can't wait to to, to see more of what comes down the line. We'll have to get you back on, um, maybe to review something really niche that nobody really talks about, like a Justice League movie from the 90s or something. Who knows? Ooh. Uh, or, or or maybe we'll be talking next time about Batman taking down a couple of people on Cable Street. Uh, once again, we'd like to remind you that you can like us on Facebook and Instagram at All Star Super Fan. You can follow us on Twitter at All Star Super Pod. Please do get in touch. Let us know where you would like Keen to draw DC characters in Dublin via email at allstarsuperpod at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts and feelings and send us a voice note on all the exciting topics we've discussed tonight. Keen, thank you so much, sir. Alan, it has been an absolute pleasure. And Rob, it is really lovely to meet you. Thank you very much, fellas. Thank you.